No. Do you want me to pray so you can magically come on stage? All right. Amen. So, uh, between what just happened with the hat and here, I guess some, some uh, papal authorities have come and confiscated it already. So, he said, you're not allowed to wear that up there. Uh, you're... So, uh, it's been taken from me. So, um, before I get started, I want to talk about, uh, we on? We good, okay. Uh, sometimes uh, Grace Life and its uh, members uh, start ministries and programs that we kind of partner with. Uh, and one of those is called Moms Lifting Moms. Uh, just a, it's, called, it's a faith-based support group for moms with, uh, with a child of any age, with ongoing health, mental health, or crisis issues. Uh, through friendship and prayer, they provide hope, healing, and peace with other moms. If you're interested, you can, if you know Mamie, you can contact Mamie. She kind of heads that up. Or email at us at connect at Grace Life, asking questions, and we'll make sure we give you the information uh, about that support group. It's a fantastic thing. Uh, it meets at Shine Hair Design Studio tomorrow. tomorrow. Right. I, I got the name right, Shine Hair Design Studio. That's where I get my hair cuts, why I look so good. So, um, <laughs> But anyway, I just want to talk about that. Uh, it's a very good uh, uh, support group that's starting. Um, I'm excited about today's message, but I'm also a little bit intimidated by it because when sometimes when I'm preparing a message, my emotions get the best of me. I think, man, there's so much cool stuff that I want to say, and I want to say it in as inspirational a tone as possible. And then I struggle with the words, and will the words really communicate just how emotional I feel about this topic? And it feels like, you know, I'll never, honestly, I could, at some point I just have to stop and say, okay, I'm done working on the notes. It's not going to get any better. And I don't know if I've arrived yet at the point where I really want it to be today, but the name of the message today is Nike. It's kind of a, re, a revisit of chapter two that we talked about, but I've entitled it Nike. And don't worry, there is the little trademarks on there, so I'm not stealing anything, all right? You can see the little R's right there. Um, I know some of you are worried about that. Um, <laughs> but so living as a victorious Christian is, frankly, a confusing concept especially the way many teach it in America. The idea of living victoriously has been polluted with the concept of money and worldly success, outward appearance, accomplishment, achievement, never being sick, all this other kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, it is really silly. I had the word stupid, but I crossed it out and put silly instead. Uh, to live in denial of reality, that life is full of injustice, life is hard, and the world is designed to defeat our faith at every turn. Throughout, though, the New Testament, there is this concept of living victoriously taught, and it had very little to do with worldly American success. Every time the idea of living victoriously was taught, at every instant, it was meant as inspirational words for believers facing the worst that life had to offer. Fact. They were meant for people whose lives faced circumstances that were actually the antithesis of living victoriously, if you look at it from a worldly perspective. And so today... As I, as I preach this sermon, it is meant for those of you who feel like the weight of the world currently is overwhelming. 
And let's be honest, we've all been there one time or another, right? Where it was just too much. It's impossible. There seems like there's no hope. It's just a tunnel of darkness. I don't even see a light at the end of the tunnel. But if you are there right now, pastorally, my pastor's heart says, I really hope this helps. So let's look at the passage from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. That's key. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, which, by the way, faith is a good. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So let's talk about the history of this passage. I want to talk about a, historic, a historically verifiable path of victory that these people that John is writing to had. He had encouraged his readers many times already in this book that they had shown ample evidence of faith even as they were hated by the world. In, John 3, in 1 John 3, 13, he says, don't be surprised that the world hates you. But they had shown ample evidence that they were faithful to Christ. And so what he does, as he does often, and I explained this last week, John once again circles back to the idea of overcoming, just like he did in chapter 2. Do you guys remember what we studied in chapter 2? He wrote a song. Remember this song he wrote? I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know who, him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Well, the same word for overcome that we saw in that is here. It's called nikao. It's the Greek word. We get the English word Nike, that tennis shoe company. It means to conquer, to carry off the victory, to come off as victorious. That's the word. And use the same word in chapter 2 as he uses in chapter 5, and it's by design. And he is reemphasizing to them once again that their faith has already succeeded in overcoming the world in basically three primary ways that we see laid out in today's passage. The first one is, it's clear they've overcome because their theology is solid. They've confessed Christ as God, Son. They believe in his death for our sin and his resurrection and victory over the grave. The gift of faith had enabled them to verbally, publicly stay true to the gospel. They didn't hide it. They didn't corrupt it. They didn't change it. They didn't adjust it. No matter what pressure or circumstances came to bear in their life, they continued to be an outward testimony to their heavenly dad. So the first way that he says, I know you've overcome, is you have great theology. They confess Christ and his death and the resurrection. The next way he says, I know you've overcome, I see evidence of your obedience. They followed Christ relentlessly. They found pleasure from obedience, not burden. He says, following God's commands is not a burden, a religious thing, you hate, a drudgery. I hate to do this. It's like counting carbs. I can't stand it. 
I mean, sure, they had moments of failure. They're not perfect. No one is. But they were always those moments of failure. We learn this in John chapter 1. He who says he has no sin, then the truth is not in him. What we learn here is he says, even when you fail, you have recognized your failure. You, it, you repented and you got back on the path. Their lives, even though it wasn't perfect, their lives clearly trended toward righteousness. It was an overarching desire and magnet in the way they lived. Then the third way that they had overcome, he saw evidence, was that they were faithful. They were faithful personally, physically, staying with the church. In 1 John chapter 2, 15-19, I wrote a sermon about that. It says, I'm not leaving. And John says, some people have left, but they left because they were never part of us. But you have stayed because you are part of God's family. The world... Its pressures, its circumstances failed miserably to convince them to abandon God's church. No consequences, no personal failure, no social pressure, no threat, no, no promise of reward or relationship could convince them to abandon their commitment to Jesus and his people. They were faithful and stayed with Christ and his church. So I want to talk about the spiritual side. What about God? What's going on with him? I want to talk about a ridiculous embarrassment of riches. I'm going to give you a quote about the book of 1 John from R.C. Sproul. He says, The majestic portrayal of the exalted Jesus throughout the book is clearly given to encourage continued faithfulness on the part of believers. Continued faithfulness. The book wasn't written to go out there and tell these Christians to get their act straight. Get in order. Straighten up and fly right. No, First John was, you are flying so well. Keep flying the way you are. You're overcoming. It's no surprise that the theme of conquering and overcoming the world is central in First John. As a matter of fact, John was also the author of the book that everybody in here wants me to keep preaching. He always say, yeah, preach Revelation, preach on Revelation. I'm going to give you a little taste of it today. He was the author of Revelation. And in his letters to seven churches in the early part of Revelation, this idea and theme of encouragement and confidence and overcoming just shines through. He repeatedly declares the promises to the ones who overcome. And it really sheds a whole new light when you look at why he wrote 1 John and why he wrote Revelation, which was this. Not just try to scare people into following Jesus. Revelation wasn't written so preachers would have hellfire and damnation, brimstone to preach. It was written to say, look, you are overcoming, and here's what's going to happen. It's an encouraging book. It's a, it's a get them fired up kind of book, and he starts off with that. And these seven churches that he writes to that I'm getting ready to read some of these passages, it's the same churches he wrote 1 John to. You're going to begin to see in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. It is our faith. So I'm going to read you some promises in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. I cannot completely explain the imagery of all of them. It's impossible. I'll try, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one. What I want to do is I want to read these 
give you a minute to let it sink in, then you give you some ideas of what it might mean. The first one is Revelation chapter 2, 7. Written to one of these seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Think about that just for a minute. Does anybody remember the definition of joy that I've given you many times? It is the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. That's Revelation 2.7. That's a good one, isn't it? You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait. <laughs> Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Hidden manna, what is that? In Exodus 16.33, the Jewish people were uh, instructed, you know, God would feed them with manna while they were in the wilderness. And every day, whatever was left, they would pick it up and they would hide it in the, in the, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. But now the scripture teaches us in John 16, and and the gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 51. Here's what Jesus says. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The hidden manna is the bread of heaven, Jesus. Then you got this uh, white stone. What is that? Well, at that time, one of the things a white stone would serve as, if you were a victor in like the Olympics or a game or a contest, a white stone was given sort of like as a, along with all the other prizes you would get for winning, you had this white stone, and it was a very special white stone, almost like trophy level in its craftsmanship, and it was your ticket for admission to the festival for all the winners. Pretty cool, huh? Then there's this new name that no one knows is that he receives it. My guess on that one, and I can't say for sure, but my guess on that one is it is an unbelievably intimate connection with Heavenly Dad. It's almost like the, the, the creator gave you a private nickname. You know, I say like, so there's only about 10 people in my life that are allowed to call me Joey anymore. <laughs> All right? Don't start. Don't start. <laughs> But my point is, when you have a nickname with somebody, it shows that you have a history with them. You have an affection for them, unless it's like a really bad nickname, you know? <laughs> like, I hope God, God would not make my nickname liar, right? He would make it something different. He would make it something evidence of the fact that his son had redeemed me. But it's a nickname written on my white stone, which is admission to the festival that only I know and he knows. Hey, so-and-so, here's your white stone. I'm looking forward to seeing you, whatever the name is. That's intimate. Here's another one. Revelation 2, 26 to 28. The one who overcomes and who keeps my works to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earth 
Earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Think about this. Once fallen, sinful rejectors of God transformed into righteous governors of God's eternal kingdom. Ridiculous. I love this next one. The one who overcomes, by the way, every time I see overcome, you know that's the word Nike. The one who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Made totally pure. Even though you're fully aware of just how unpure your life was. Because of faith, you have overcome. You're made totally pure. And then you have Jesus speak your name to heavenly dad. Oh, yeah. He or she, dad, they're with me. And they're pure. No residue of our bad choices. No residue of our sinful actions or our thoughts. Just pure and righteous throughout because by the gift of faith we have overcome. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. The one who overcomes will I make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Remember, this is the same author that wrote 1 John. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own New name. A pillar is something that is identified as crucial to a structure's integrity, durability, permanency, identity. It's the pillar that makes a structure safe to dwell in. Crazy, isn't it? We become pillars in the temple of heaven. Foundations of God's heavenly society, not because we deserve it, but because by the gift of faith we have overcome. Then look at this one, Revelation 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. What? Wait, what? what? As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So let me tell you a story. Uh, there's a young man that some of you know is a friend of mine. He played uh, football for Liberty University, never really got to start, did some stuff. And then somehow he got on an NFL roster. His name was Sam Congato, loves God. He's actually studying to be a missionary in Nigeria. And he played in the NFL for like seven years. And he had some really good years with the Packers. And I remember one time... The Packers were going to play the Giants. I was living in New York at the time. Boy, I was going nuts watching this guy play, right? He was, he was tearing it up. One year he had like eight touchdowns and 700 yards in like five games. It was insane. This, nobody knew this guy. He was a practice squad. A bunch of people got hurt. He's playing and he's lighting the league on fire. And I'm like, yeah, I coached him. That's because of me. I got all the victory of me. I taught him how to it, it had nothing to do with me, but I still. So <laughs> he said, Joe, I'm going to be playing the Giants. I want you to come watch the game. So I went and I get there and I go to and I go and he goes, go to this window to pick up your tickets. So I go to a window with a, with a friend of mine to pick up the tickets. They say, oh, you're in VIP seating. What? 
Yeah, Sam Con, uh, Sam Congato, that's who you're here to see, yeah? He's asked you to sit in the VIP section. And I was given family member privileges. I was invited to sit in special places in the stadium. And then afterwards, I got to go to hang out with the players afterwards. It was insane. <laughs> it's nothing compared to Revelation 3.21. To him overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Are you kidding me? The creator of the universe, the father of Jesus, our savior, says, hey, Good job, dude, with the nickname nobody knows about, with the white stone and the white robes and all that stuff. Come sit with me right here in my throne. Huh? You can't get within 300 yards of the Oval Office, and I'm sitting on the throne of the Creator? Mm, mm. So that's the theology. Good stuff, right? Let's talk about the personal side. We are winning. So here's my uh, uh, social media campaign this week. Love for God is not a feeling. It is a supernatural, invincible pattern of obedience the world will never convince us to abandon. Look, it's true life is hard. And lots of things in our faith are working against us. Disease. War. Violence. Greed, personal failure, bitterness, betrayal, resentment, addictions, judgment, hypocrisy. All these things are working together to try to make us forget about the riches that John has just written about. All the world wants to do is separate us from the love of God. But as any child of faith that has faced the darkness can attest, there is a supernatural anchor that keeps hope alive, even when it has no logical reason to. Even during suffering, God's children somehow are able to live in expectation and hope because of the gift of faith and the promises. This is what it means to live by faith. We soldier on in faith and obedience even as the world is raging against us, constantly trying to pull us away, but it will never convince us to abandon our path of obedience. We in our lives, will crave a life that is congruent with his teachings. Even when we fail, we still look to repent, and therefore we are overcomers. And Jesus said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know what Jesus is saying there? You will have nothing but trouble in this world, and then you die. But don't worry. You're with me. You will have nothing but trouble, but don't worry. I've overcome that trouble in my resurrection. 
you will as well. You are with me. And Paul talks about this too. I love, you guys, I, I love this passage in Romans 8. But I'd love to preach a series on Romans sometime, but you think these take a long time. That would take like, oh my gosh, like 11 years. So, but... <laughs> Here's what Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Nope. Distress? Mm Mm-mm. Persecution? Yeah, right. Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? Look what he says next. No! In all these things, we are more than nikao, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, in other words, demons, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And where does that love Generate from the gift of faith. John says, we love because he first loved us. That was in the sermon a couple weeks ago, love defined. Look, I bet a lot of you don't feel like an overcomer, a conqueror. Some of you have probably spent weeks, months, maybe years drowning in sorrow after sorrow. Because that's what life can be. That's because the world hates our victorious obedience and all the promises that are attached to it. But look at the scriptures. It's a totally different world when you live by faith. And the fact is, church, we are locked into the one who has overcome And there is nothing the world can do about it. So as your pastor, as your friend, I'm asking you, keep running. Keep running. Run the race. Keep fighting. The world wants to throw obstacle after obstacle in the way as you run. Keep going. Keep fighting. Go around. Go up. Go through. Go down. Go over. Whatever it takes because he who overcomes has a ridiculous embarrassment of riches waiting. And keep working. Don't get lazy. It's worth the fight. You have shown evidence that God has given you the gift of faith. It is undeniable. I preach these, as John said in chapter 2, I write to you because you've overcome. I'm preaching to you as those who have overcome. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep working. Keep loving. You can't do it alone. Stay together. Don't get so resentful and discouraged with your fellow brothers and sisters who, by the way, are facing the same burdens you are. Don't get so discouraged that you turn your back on them when it gets hard because they are struggling just like you. The God in you is working. He's working in all of us that have been given this ridiculous gift of faith. 
You are not alone. We are overcoming. We will overcome. Dear church, no matter what the world has done to you, you have been able to love God. I've seen it. You have been able to stay obedient. You have been able to stay faithful. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of salvation because we are overcoming. Dad, I'm so thankful that we are overcoming. I'm so thankful that you have given us the gift of faith. I'm so glad that our obedience is not tied to human discipline, but supernatural, invincible ability and desire to stay congruent with your teachings. Help us, God, to in, the, in light of these promises to keep running, keep fighting, keep working, keep loving, because we have overcome. Amen. Amen.